Welcome to episode number 20 of Sex the Podcast. This episode is titled The Culture of Male Sexuality in Jamaica, and it is with Akasha Saunders. It could also be called Bob's favorite episode. It, I've been talking about this one nonstop behind the literally scenes. Literally, like people. Six, literally. For like nine months now. I know. So I know Akasha Saunders through a men's retreat in Bermuda. It's called Braveheart Men's Retreat that I was invited out to co-lead. And Akasha is one of two men who actually put these retreats on. Uh, Akasha is from Jamaica. And the workshop that I brought to the men's retreat was around sex and uh, creating a deeper, more open conversation with the guys there. And through, uh, through my time spent there with Akasha, he shared some really extraordinarily interesting things about the culture of sex in Jamaica. Um, I was just instantly fascinated. I knew we had to have him on the podcast. So here we are. We have a really amazing conversation recorded and we're excited to present it to you. Yeah, in this episode, we talk about the Jamaican culture around sex, where it's common for children to start experimenting as young as five years old, and for men to father children with multiple wives across the country. So, five years old. I, my mind was slightly blown when he told me that for the first time, and um, such a uh, such a difference between culture of sex and sexuality in America. So, I was just fascinated. We talk about Akasha's journey through the cultural expectations of masculine sexuality that he grew up around in Jamaica and how he found his own authentic expression of sex and intimacy. And we also talk about what was probably one of the sweetest parts for me was what it's like being a father and a role model around sex and relationship for his young boy. Who I think was uh, seven or eight at the time that we recorded this interview with him. Akasha is an extraordinarily authentic and genuine man. He just, I love the way that he talks about his wife and his son. You can just tell how much he loves them and it just, it shows so deeply. We had a really amazing conversation. We're excited to present it to you. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. Ready? Go. Set, go. <laughs> okay. Cool. Hi, Akasha. Hi, hi, Bob. Hi, Natalie. Hi, thanks for being here today. We've yeah, been, thanks for having me. We've been working for, like, months to get this interview done, and I'm super excited about it. I know. So, listeners, this has been months in the making, so it's even more special. And I know I've talked to Natalie about it a bunch of times of how excited I am so to talk excited. with you. So excited. Yeah. He's been so excited. Yeah. Because... Um, hey, hey, hey. Go ahead. Hearing you talk about that makes um, brings to mind one of Bob Marley's hit songs about not. I don't want to wait in vain for your love. You know, I've loved yeah. both of you. You weren't waiting in vain, but I, I yeah. agree. It's been a long time coming. I, I wouldn't want to. I didn't want to wait in vain for this conversation. Right. <laughs> so the place that we normally start out with with people and and this is going to be really interesting for me personally because the thing that inspired this interview that we're having here was a conversation that you and I had about your sexual history and and so what we would love to open up with is the cliff notes version of your personal sexual history oh wow well um growing up in Jamaica I was um, encouraged to start very early you know, so maybe my first sort of sexual exposure, I think, was at five years old. And 
it was simply just being at the back of a church um, with another little girl. And we were just, you know, making contact, you know. And from there, we, as, as kids, our favorite game was what we called Dolly House. You know, so there's always a mom and a dad and always kids and we just pretended to be a family. And boys just always wanted to be dads because then when you're a dad, you get to pretend as though you're making babies. And, and sometimes that's, that could get um, literally the way you make babies. You know, you get naked, you, you play around with each other and you try to, um, to insert or at least touch, you know. Um, at that age, there's no penetration at all, but you're pretending, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so there's no sort of satisfaction in it. It's just kids, and it's some things that were um, were normal, and normal so, for like kids. Like what kind of age? So this is somewhere between five and maybe eight, nine. You know, so so very young, very young. So f- five five to nine year old kids basically playing naked mommy and daddy with each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious when you said there's no satisfaction in, but what did it feel like? What was, what was the experience as um, it was happening? I, I, I know as a, as, a, as a kid for me, it was um, sometimes it was actually painful mm. because two reasons why, because you're for one, you just, I'm just rubbing up, you know, <laughs> so after a while that burns. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and as I got older, um, and, and, um, as I got old and penetrated, that also was uncomfortable. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I have a bunch of questions already, but I want to give you the space to keep going through. Sorry. Yeah. And, um, I mean, from then was sort of less and less as I sort of got into interestingly as I got into sort of puberty, I, I had less and less interest hmm. in, in sexual experiences and, and sex. Um, during my teenage, teenage years, I had sex maybe, maybe three times and, and or maybe four and all occasions was um, rather unpleasant. Hmm. You know, I was like, oh, this is what's expected of boys my age. And I wasn't thinking of it in that way. I wasn't aware of it necessarily. Just knew that, um, you know, all my cousins were doing it and friends and the girls expected it. And so in some ways, I played along occasionally, um, you know, until, you know, I just, there's just no point to it. Hmm. Uh, many times I would resist as long as I could, but always felt that sort of social pressure. Yeah. Engage in some sexual activity and usually sexual intercourse. Hmm. And so that, so this is as a teenager and then, and then how did it continue to evolve for you from there? Your, your relationship to sex and sexuality. Yeah, you know, when I met my my last girlfriend, who is now my wife, mm. um, you know, I, I I I had some I had a lot of concerns about it because in the previous times there was a sort of, of once it happened, it was like I I really don't want to see you anymore, and this was so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and um, bye, and so I had that um, you know sort of history 
that made me um, concerned about being with Anessa, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, I loved her a lot. And, you know, from the first moment I saw her, I somehow knew that she was going to be my wife. And, um, and I knew nothing was going to impact that choice. And at the same time, I was concerned that, well, what if we, we make love and I have the experience that I've always had where um, it's, it's, I'm just, I just don't want to be with her, you know? So um, luckily, well, no luck. Um, fortunately, <laughs> mm-hmm. when, when, we, when we did, um, it was, um, was beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm curious when you said it was uncom in the past it had been uncomfortable and then you just didn't spend any more time together. Do you mean emotionally or physically and for you or for them or both? I yeah, I, I would, um, you know, I would. So we usually I'll be dating these girls. And so after then there would always be a conversation like, so I don't think this is going to work out or, um, mostly what happens is I would give them reasons to, to dump me, mm-hmm. you know? So I had that sort of thing going where, you know, and I didn't want to do that to anyone. And so I would just, I would just ignore them. I would um, just come up with all different reasons why um, make up reasons almost, or give them reasons why I wasn't the right guy. Mm-hmm. You know? And ignoring them was something that I did quite often and very well. Mm-hmm. You know, so after those experiences, I would just disappear, mm-hmm. which is also a, a sort of cultural, a sort of socialization <laughs> to some degree. And obviously, I'm generalizing a bit, but I want to make it clear that not all Jamaican men were socialized that way or, or fell into that socialization um, you know, in terms of, of sexuality and mass, men's expression of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, were you talking about this with friends? Like, I know part of this was the culture, but were conversations around sex in the culture? Yeah. In, in some ways, I mean, I didn't. And in some ways, there was no need to because, you know, everyone was doing it. And, you know, it was an, it was an expectation. It's like, you know, you don't, you don't talk about eating Aki and starfish and breadfruit, which is one of our favorite staples in Jamaica, because it's a favorite staple in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And if you're not eating it, then perhaps you you know something's wrong with you. You're not really Jamaica. <laughs> so it was almost like one of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to talk about it because to many of us it seems obvious. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, I see. Okay, got it. So it kind of swung in the other direction of not having conversations because. It's totally accepted. It's totally normal. Everyone's doing it, so I talk about it. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm tracking the kind of personal journey of the way that you would distance yourself from women, and I'm curious about that, and I'm super curious about the cultural piece of it as well. And, wh- and one piece that you mentioned to me before personally that I would love to hear you speak a little bit more on is the again, speaking to the cultural expectations that, that I guess men are kind of imbued with, you told me that it's a point of pride for men to father children in as many or in all of the Jamaican provinces or something along those lines. 
I mean, it's certainly a courage that way to, to many folks. And it did to me as well, you know, that, so we have 14 parishes in Jamaica. And so, you know, in terms of, you know, media and conversations, you know, um, uh, music artists would sing and brag about how many kids they have, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm a little boy, you know, five hearing these, these popular artists and, you know, guys that we look up to sing about, you know, I have a child in every parish but with a different baby mama, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, a part of the socialization was through music was wow. through, conversations of course but certainly through music because jamaica is just big on on music you know dance hall and reggae reggae you know not doesn't really promote that so much i mean definitely a type of you know more acceptable way of looking at love and sexual interaction but dance hall hardcore dance hall was really i would say a promoter of that type of um, sexual expression and promiscuity amongst jamaican men and so there's a place in the culture where it's maybe not only accepted, but it's, it's um, kind of encouraged. Yeah. I would say, so. I mean, my, I'm, I'm one, my, my father has eight children and he would end with that I know of. And that's a typical thing, I think for many men, but in certain cultures to say, you know, because, you know, really, yeah, I mean, that type of practice is hard to say. I only have three kids or eight children, mm. you know. And so for him, um, my, my father has eight children that he knows of and with five, five different women, you know. And you know, again, different, different areas. Actually, my, the sibling that I'm closest with, we were five months apart. And we, we lived, our mothers lived maybe, um, maybe 500 feet apart. Hmm. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and was that a thing for them or is it normal for them also? Um, you mean for the women? Yeah, for the, yeah, is there, is there cause I imagine the first place my mind goes is that if that had happened in the United States, there would be a lot of jealousy and, uh, you know, in some, in some ways it's, it would be the presumptions of me to say that women, um, expected, but in some ways they have been socialized into it. You socialize into, um, almost expecting, not accepting necessarily, but expecting that their, that their partner is going to go out, is going to have someone else on the side, you know, matey, as we call them in Jamaica, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they, they, would, they would have clashes or, or con- conflict, um, you know, about some of those things. And um, it, it, I think in some cases it's to the point where it becomes a status thing yeah, you know, I, uh, I, you might be the matey, but I am the wifey, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, mm-hmm. you, see, you see the game that, 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 that they're playing. So it becomes really this thing about, well, well, I take um, priority or, you know, seniority, you know, over, over you because either I was there first or I had the most children mm-hmm. for him or mm-hmm. had his first child or whatever, anything to give that sort of status over the other woman or women. Um, 
And I can't imagine that any woman would be comfortable with that. And at the same time, as I mentioned, it, there's a type of expectation about men um, having multiple women mm. in the Jamaican context. And so it's certainly a type of polygamous um, culturization that pervades our, our Jamaican culture. And some of it is, I mean, I think it's still strong today. I know I recently read something about um, uh, there was this Muslim woman in Jamaica arguing for the legalization of polygamy because they're saying, well, men are going out anyway and, and making it legal is a way of protecting children and women mm-hmm. because as it stands now, a man can say, well, he's not mine or because mm-hmm. he has so many, he can choose, oh, I'm going to be with, I'm going to take care of this set, but I'm not going to take care of that set. You know, because you know, him and the mom might have fallen out, or whatever the situation might be. Right. Um, you right. know, so different type of arguments and evolution of this type of mm-hmm. um, practice. Hmm. I'm curious how that impacted your view of relationship and marriage and kids and all that. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned, to some degree, I. I felt I colluded with this practice. I would say to some degree I may have been victimized by it um, as a child. Mm. Um, and I, I accept full responsibility for, you know, even as a teenager and just going along, conforming to those type of practices. And at the same time, I, I knew there was a certain wrongness about it for me. You know, um, similarly to how I've always felt about homophobia in Jamaica, you know, just just a just a wrongness about it to me, and so um, not wanting to, but also being on the down low about not wanting to, you know. So I would rather um, not have sex, or I'd rather just be open to to everyone despite their their sexuality. But there is a certain level of risk that comes along with that, you know. So it's um, you know, knowing that I would certainly prefer to be married and settle down and just have, you know, one family, which is the case, you know, obviously eventually um, chose my, my path, what was natural for me and only have one child um, and know that it is my child, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think for all of us, there comes a point in our lives that irrespective of how we've been socialized, irrespective of what the culture sort of dictates, you know, we have to liberate ourselves from that and choose what, not just what seems natural, because we might be, we might confuse what seems natural with what society is dictating. Yeah. But what, what, what's, what's, what serves everyone best and, and being so open sexually, I think, or um, having so many children, I don't think serves a lot of people best, mm-hmm. you know, so, mm-hmm. um, so certainly inform how I relate to family now, you know, one of the things I knew before I got married was I made a vow that I was never going to be like my dad. I didn't know my father, you know, he, mm. I think he had to, in a way, um, abandon my mom before I was born, mm. you know, to um, not get himself in too much trouble. So I didn't know him growing up, um, mm. you know, first spoke with him when I was 15 and met him for the first time when I was 23. And that's a, partly a consequence of living that way. Um, you know, so, you know, I certainly felt the, 
the um, the consequence um, of not having a dad around. I knew that I wouldn't want that for for any child. Yeah, what was that like? Only ever meeting your dad as a teenager and then in person as an adult. It, it, <laughs> this might sound strange, but it was good. Um, you know, around that age, I think at some 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 point in every teenage boy's life where he actually really wants a relationship with a, a male figure, preferably his father. Um, I know I yearned for it. I sought him out. And my mom actually was disappointed to a certain degree that I would seek him out considering mm. that he abandoned us. Mm. You know? And so, um, and so we, you know, we, when I, when I first talked with him, it was like, so, you know, I, you know, certainly would love to, to get to know you. Um, one of the challenges earlier on was he immediately wanted me to, to call him dad. And, you know, I said, Hey man, I, I really want to get to know you, but that's, you're, you're not going to get that. Right. You're pushing <laughs> not going to get that. Yeah. Um, that was, I was pushing it a little, hmm. um, you know, and for, as a teenager, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't refer to him as any particular title, you know, just speak normal, you know, without addressing him as Mr. or Sir, or uncle or dad or anything like that, you know, hmm. but I knew he was my father. And so when I speak of him in a sort of third person, you know, I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I spoke to my father today. This is my father, definitely never been my dad. Um, and we have great conversations today. I mean, we, you know, it's, I would say we have beautiful conversations. And perhaps ironically, um, I'm the only one of his other kids who actually, who, who talk with him, who have any relationship with him. And, um, you know, and I understand how how that makes him feel and, you know, I mean, Natalie and Bob. I remember the, the first time when I when I told him that I that I that I love him. Mm. You know, and it wasn't too long ago; it was maybe four years ago. And I said to him, I said, "Hey, you know, this has nothing to do with who you are or what you have been doing or what you have done. But I want you to know that I love you. I love you because I choose to love you. You know." And he cried. He's like, "Man, if I feel like you've just given me a million dollars," and. Um, yeah, I mean, it just goes to goes back to the context of this conversation. We, I don't think men are, are present to the impact of of being, you know, so promiscuous and having so many kids, and and sometimes even not taking care of them. I don't think they're really present to the impact. I think what have men um, gripped by the by the balls, you know, no pun intended, is just the socialization around how men ought to be in the Jamaican context. And the same can be applied to any context or any culture, of course, you know, but, but certainly um, in many ways they've been captured, they've been imprisoned by that. And we all have to liberate ourselves from it at some point. Sometimes we get a little help and sometimes we, we have to go through some pain, you know, until we, until we escape, we emancipate ourselves. Yeah. Well, I'm curious from, you know, given that that was your kind of societal expectation of sex and family. So then you meet Anessa and sounds like love at first sight. And for, for the listener, a huge smile huge just came across. Smile. Pe- yeah. It's a really, came across his face really when Natalie cute. mentioned her name. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
And you had this concern around how is it going to be with the sex? And, you know, I really care about this woman. I'm curious how you overcame that and how you formed or cultivated a sexual relationship with her, given all that. Yeah, um, that's very interesting. Because, um, as I mentioned, there, there was some some fear around it, but it was also a um, curiosity, you know, around it. And um, and I didn't tell her any of this. I just told her about about what I'm sharing with you a couple months ago while we were on a pilgrimage walking across Spain. Mm. And I shared it with her and she was like, yeah, I had no idea. Mm. You know? um, and so, I mean, for with that was, to me, it was just, it was, it was, it was type of a surrender, you know, because I knew, I knew that if the experience was the same, it would be something that I would have to work through, you know? So I was approaching it with, uh, with, yes, she is going to be my wife. She is, you know, I love her. This is my choice. And if that's the case where I feel like I want to run away, like this is, this is not, um, uh, this doesn't feel right. I don't connect with her at that level. And, and you know, also the physical sort of um, pleasure, if that's absent, then it's just something that I have to work through. And at, at, at certain points, Natalie, I, I, I was also looking at it as, oh, well, if, if it turns out that that's the case, it might just be punishment for what I, how, how active I was as a boy. So, so there was some amount of that too, you know, some guilt that um, surrounded the, the thought and the anticipation of what I might experience mm-hmm. after, after making love with Vanessa, mm-hmm. um, you know, and again, fortunately, um, all that I experienced was, was just pure love. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, um, I know it might sound a little cliche, but in many ways it was much deeper than, than, than sexual intimacy. Um, you know, and so there was a type of, um, you know, this is beautiful and this is great. And can we do it again soon? <laughs> <laughs> and that makes me so curious to, to skip back to when you were a teenager and you were distancing yourself from this culture of sex, from having sex with people. Why? Um, what didn't feel right for you there? Because it sounds like something feels really right for you with Anessa, and then what didn't feel right for you earlier on? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. I, I really can can sort of you know, put my my hands on it, um, but I I I think a part of it might have been. Um, a result of growing up in in a Christian home, growing up in the church and um, in a Christian church, and you know the sort of values that were um, that were preached you know in terms of respecting women and and waiting until you 're married before you have sex and those sort of things you know and, and, and um, monogamy and um, those sort of values uh, in many ways are connected with that. Mm. And, and felt um, felt at home with some of those values and some of those ways of being a man and being in relationships. So I think even as a boy, um, those values were, they sort of took a grip on me or I allowed them to. 
And, um, and so it was sort of that conflict, you know, um, with what those, those values that those Christian values and, and the, the sort of cultural, um, masculine values were, I would say type of, at, there were, there was a tension, there were clashing, mm-hmm. you know, and one might say that the sort of cultural value around, um, ways of being a man superseded, you know, the Christian, the Christian values, you know, which is why you would have like pastors and deacons having a lot of women and a lot of kids, you know? <laughs> um, and so it's still, it's, it's in a sense, it's still easy. Um, I think it's possible that I, that I really just surrendered myself to those, um, those practices early. Mm-hmm. Well, and tell me if this is true though, I hear that there's the piece around religion that had you distance yourself from the kind of, dominant masculine culture around sex but what i feel like i get about you is that there was something that just didn't feel in alignment for you there also that's that's true and and i think that alignment was i would say it's coming from a much deeper place that i didn't know that i know back then being so young you know Mm -hmm. but certainly there was a type of knowing deep within that said no you don't want to be with people like this. You don't want to manipulate. You don't want to um, be so free around this beautiful expression of, of love and connection. Mm. You know, there was certainly, there was certainly that. Yeah. And whenever, in those times when I went against it, it, it's not surprising that it would be so painful and, and satisfied and um, uncomfortable. Mm. And say more, what is beautiful about it? How does it, what does it, what does sex mean to you? Um, I mean, I, you know, now I certainly see sex more of a, more as a, a sort of um, spiritual interaction than a, than a physical. It obviously includes the physical. And, and I think it's, I feel like it's just much deeper than that. Um, you know, I mean, really imagine um, two souls coming together, being, being completely naked and vulnerable with each other and connecting um, physically, but it's also emotional and it's also spiritual, you know, but connecting in a way that, that allows them at different points throughout the sexual interaction to connect with themselves and connect with what I would say you know, God or a deeper principle around how we exist as human beings. I think all of that is happening in sexual intercourse, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, to me, there's, there's just a lot of um, power and access, access in that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and especially I think, I just think about how wise you probably were as a child. And I think we all are wise in that way as children, right? And probably were so connected and tapped in and had that intuition running. But we get, like, again, socialized out of that. And, and like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't have intuition mentors as children. Right. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. sadly. Yeah. Well, and even just, I mean, I feel like even recently was talking 
not that long ago with a client and just saying, you know, sex is emotional too. And, you know, just that same way that there's this only one facet we've been taught about sex, which is a physical thing. And so you're saying, you know, but it's a spiritual thing and it's an emotional thing. And there's so many other facets to sex that we just never get exposed to. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's beautiful because, um, you know, when Anessa and I um, engage in sexual intercourse at any time, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I try to tell her, because um, sometimes we both have our insecurities, you know, about how we're doing and, you know, how uh, were we each pleased or satisfied. And I try to tell her, you know, I'm, I'm always pleased and satisfied. Mm. It doesn't matter what it's like or how long it is or what happens. Because um, to me, there is a type of connection that precedes, supersedes as well. The, the sexual penetration itself, you know, and for whatever reason, I, I was just programmed to connect with that first and foremost, you know, and so that's always present, um, you know, and I can never be absent at all, especially mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I've connected with my heart and I say, okay, this is a woman that I'm, that I'm going to experience love with in this way. So once I've com- surrendered to that, I think it just opened the floodgates for me to have those experiences with her all the time. Hmm. Well, do you know what her view of sex was coming into the relationship or what her expectations were? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think I, she's spoken about like, being a bit timid. I know she's been shy sometimes. Um, you know, and, um, you know, just, you know, not, not really having a sort of parameters to how things ought to go and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that's as much as I, as I know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, just growing into appreciating, exploring and just being, you know, with each other without some of those, Concerns, I think, is where I would say we're, we have evolved to in, in, our, in our partnership. Mm-hmm. You know, and even now, even now, there, you know, there's a lot of evolution in, in our partnership and how we are with each other. Um, and it's a challenge and it's something we're learning. And I would want to say both committed to, to learning you know, how we, how we move forward um, in, in the sort of new way of being in together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I have no problem sharing with you that, you know, some recent experiences have um, resulted in, in me having losing desires for a lot of things. Um, just no desire for anything, mm. no experience, no, sometimes not even food, no, nothing. Um, and, you know, sadly, it, um, it's impacted our connection, our union, our sexual um, relationship. And so, you know, it's, and she's noticed, of course, and so it's a new thing to sort of navigate. Um, 
And how do we now be with each other? Because certainly I could force it, you know, and, you know, um, and there is something that about that that doesn't seem necessary or correct, you know. Um, so it's, I, I look at it as, as, a, as a call for us to, to deeper type of spiritual partnership and relationship. Um, I don't think it's going to always be without sexual intimacy. I think right now, you know, that's a part of the experience. And, and we're both young. So it's understandable that it would be a concern for both of us. Mm. Well, again, it, uh, I listened to an episode recently about on another podcast where they were talking about, you know, our sexual intimacy or attraction and just ebbs and flows. But again, not something we've been taught, right? That there's cycles. There's times where you're very hot and heavy. And then there's times where you don't find each other as attractive or not as connected and then it goes up and then it goes down and so you think there's something wrong right it brings a concern into the relationship that actually may not be a legitimate concern yeah and so that's that's a part of the navigating with her um trying to you know communicate that it that is it has nothing to do with her at all, I still find her extremely attractive. Mm. Um, you know, very much so, and connected with her as as a romantic partner. And I know that there is more. And I also have that ex- experience where um, the desire, sexual intimacy, is, is also just there. But I want to be close to her mm. all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's still that. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. Uncharted territory, huh? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when, when we're in partnerships, when we're in relationships, it's such a, an amazing opportunity to learn and to grow. If we choose to, of course. Some of us don't and we leave and divorce or run away or whatever. And I have no intention of doing that. And, um, you know, um, yeah, and so and so won't. Um, so it's we get to be explorers and discover something new, mm-hmm. and I think it's gonna be beautiful. It's already beautiful, but we just haven't fully discovered it yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Mm. It was good to share it. <laughs> yeah. What's it like to get to? be a present, consistent, solid role model for your boy? Oh, well, I would, first of all, want to hope that I am. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's possible um, because he, he, he does compete with me. He's at the age where he wants me to see him kiss her and hug her. It's like, it's like Daddy, look at me. <laughs> you know, and he's like, he's kissing her for a long time, you know. <laughs> and, you know, he just... And he wants to just take care of her and, you know, he wants to sh- let me see that he's taking care of her and that. A Vanessa? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. The car, you know, um, you know, with Vanessa. And so he's, um, in, in some ways it might, it, it, it might seem as though, he, you know, he's, um, and it's all playful with him, 
you know, and he would say, you know, daddy, I've kissed her like five times already. And I would say, well, you have a lot of catching up to do, but I've been kissed her for like 13 years. <laughs> so, and then he would just turn it into a joke. <laughs> so still have a long way to go. Yeah. And, and just, I'm curious in the context of, of, of you didn't grow up with a father of, in, in that, like, you get to be around for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say to that, in many ways, it's the other way around, I feel. Um, mm. And I would say maybe both ways, but oftentimes I feel like he gets to be here for me um, because I... I, I don't know a lot of it. So sometimes I, 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 I push, like I'm really intentional about being with him and experiencing life with him, um, having him close to me. Many times that it just seems really necessary to have him there. It's like, I don't really have a choice, you know? And sometimes on the outside, it might seem like an inconvenience. And at the same time, I cannot, um, I cannot align with it, with him being with me as an inconvenience. Um, and so, you know, you, we have been at men's retreat together, Bob, where he's like the only child that's there. And that's just an example. You know, in many other situations, it's, it's similar, you know. So, and he insists as well. Like, you know, daddy, you're a man and this is for men. So I want to be with you. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, okay, be with me. So that's what I also mean by he, all, he sometimes it's more him than me. I get it. Yeah, I agree. And I you know, surrender to his presence and his influence. Um, but, it's, but he also insists. So we're, we're doing it together. Mm. Um, you know, I think, I think if I if it was just me, I, I don't know. One of the things that helped as well, um, Bob and Natalie, is that, uh, you know, there, there were some complications when he was born and Anessa was in the hospital. She was hospitalized for about six months. And so during that time, it was just the car and me, you know, mm-hmm. so fed him, cleaned him, bathed him, you know, everything. So we became really, really close, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of complications with that, of course, because once Anessa got out, um, it was hard for her to bond with him. Mm-hmm. You know? So it was just daddy, daddy all the time, you know, mm-hmm. for like two years. Until one day I was like, mm, no, you know what? I'm going to find something to do so I can leave the house so that you two can be together alone. Mm-hmm. I picked a bowl and, and they developed a really good relationship mm-hmm. since then. Mm-hmm. But he and I have just always been close. You know, um, I think it's partly due to those early, early days, early months. Um, so we do have a special connection that I think almost circumstances forced onto us. But I love it. I appreciate it. I'm grateful for it. Mm. Um, and even now talking with you guys you come in the room a few times and check on me or just want to say something to me (laughs) right yeah yeah you know it's it's almost like we you know we almost like can't have enough of each other in in Mm. some ways so i'm curious about um i'm assuming you haven't talked to him about sex yet but i might 
that might be incorrect. If you have, what have you said? If you haven't, what would you say? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't even thought about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now's your I chance. know, I know. But I'm... <laughs> Stop pressuring him by asking him a question. I'm getting you ready, Akasha, okay? <laughs> You're getting me ready, but thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. On, on a recorded interview. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say oh, to your wow, son about sex? <laughs> I've never, I haven't thought about it to be really open with you guys. I haven't, I haven't thought about what that conversation might be or when or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've never had the, um, what is it, birds and the bees conversation? Never, never. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk openly about a lot of things. I think mature conversations and that has just never come up. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. You know. That's an okay answer. I imagine it will come up at some point pretty soon. What, what, I'm curious, what would you, like what's the relationship to sex and sexuality that you would hope for him to grow into? Mm-hmm. Mm, I appreciate that question. You know, the first thing that came to mind is, is sacred. You know, one where he he relates to it as something that is sacred. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter with whom. Um, and I've had to, in many ways, I come to terms with that, you know, and, and just accept it. Um, that there's a possibility that, he, you know, he might be fluid and he might choose to align with the sexuality that I chose to align with that expression. I'm being a heterosexual male, um, but whatever he chooses, I would I would wish that to him, it's a it's a sacred experience. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanna wanna say or talk about to close up the body of this conversation? Yeah. What What's coming up is. Is that although although we've talked this is sex the podcast and we've talked about sex I I first throughout the conversation that is much deeper than that you know it's mm-hmm. it's about how we how we hold the people more than how we hold the act of of having sex mm-hmm. and how we how we hold and see ourselves even um, you know and I, for some we talked about sex in the Jamaican context you know for some the act of it can be a form of um, holding people in bondage to certain um, socialization or certain ways of being a man. You know, we talk about the dominant masculinity. And, you know, even with that, I think there comes a time when, when all of us, you know, men and women, however we identify our gender, um, you know, we'll, we'll come to a point where irrespective of what we were socialized in, we get to choose what is genuine to us, genuine to our authentic self-expression and, and what we know instinctually. Um, and I, I know that we will grow into having that inner guidance um, take precedence over whatever the culture demands or dictates. You know, and I think only then can we be free in our sexual experience and expression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for offering that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even though, again, even though this is a podcast around sex, the, the whole point is to have exposure to seeing it and understanding it and relating to it in a myriad of ways because we only do get one message, right? Whatever your culture is or your religion is or your family, you know, tradition is. And so to to have voices, different voices, show us what's possible around sex is, is what fascinates me. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you saying that, Natalie, for sure. You know, because uh, at no point did I get from you guys or am I saying you know, whatever, these various forms of sexual expressions are wrong, you know, um, and there is an individual knowing about it. And, you know, what I, I feel that we have pointed to as, as well is also the responsibility around how we engage in, in our sexual expression with yes. others. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. you know, and there, we have to be responsible you know, around, around that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what you do professionally and the kind of work that you do? Does that feel um, relevant to the conversation, something you would want to offer? Uh, no. Okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. So in closing, Natalie and I have a couple of questions that we love asking mm-hmm. and that we're going to love asking you. Yeah. You go. I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> I love this already. <laughs> How would you describe sex to somebody who's never had it before? Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a sacred experience that you share with another person. And you might get naked or you might not. Mm. You might touch what we call private parts and you'll get to know what those are. <laughs> and, um, and you might not. But mm. it's... It's, it's a way of connecting, you know, mm. and think about connecting more than penetrating and you will ah. be fine. Yeah. Got it. Beautiful. Yeah. And so my question is, what is your favorite part about sex? Ooh, my favorite part about sex is getting ready for it. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, getting ready in a lot of sense. So if it's like if it's like role play or preparing for it in that way, you know, um, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, and and like presence in myself for oh, I'm going to connect with this amazing woman that I've given my heart to. Oh, I could just bask in that for a minute or two before we move any further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, so there's a, there's that, and sometimes it's a bit complicated because sometimes I really want to get into it, you know, literally and figuratively, and <laughs> other times I I want to be with that experience of knowing it's gonna come. Yeah, yeah literally kind of the anticipation of it <laughs> yes yes <Wow. laughs> this, this is so crazy you guys have, what have you done to me <laughs> I mean it is a sex podcast <laughs> at the end of the day <laughs> we like to turn yeah. people on <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much. This was so sweet. Mm-hmm. 
to mm-hmm. speak with you around this and just get your wisdom and your perspective and your history around it. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to that, the the cultural perspective is so fascinating to me. And that was the thing that initially, initially triggered my desire for this conversation. And it's been beautiful in so many ways, but simply the awareness that how I was raised and how I was socialized around sex, there's totally different ways of relating to it. That's normal for other people, normal for whole cultures of people. And that alone is it, um, it expands the range of possibility it kind of gets me more aware of where my boxes or kind of the boxes that I've been put into or put myself into around sex and sexuality it gets me more aware of them so that I can create a more authentic expression of myself as a sexual person so thank you so much very good it was a pleasure and it was fun Mm -hmm. fun and pleasurable (laughs) that's the way I like it All right. Yeah, thank you thank so you much. Both. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. It's great. Wasn't that an amazing conversation? I loved re-listening to that episode as I was taking notes for it. One of the things I love the most about it is that I can tell just by the way that he speaks about his relationship, how much openness and honesty and transparency that there is between he and his wife. And what Natalie and I have found over and over again is that that level of really honesty and willingness to go inside and do our own personal work is what it takes to create a really thriving relationship. And Natalie and I have actually done a lot of work as coaches ourselves with singles and couples around sex and relationship. And truly the number one thing that we find is that there, whenever there's disconnection in relationship, there's resentment and there's things that aren't being communicated. There's needs that aren't being met behind the scenes. And usually the sex is just a pointer to this place where there's disconnection and a break in communion, basically, in the couple. I call it the canary in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. The, the sex life is just the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. If the canary is having trouble, you don't, uh, you don't, try to feed medicine to the canary you take you you take the canary out and you clear all the noxious fumes out of the coal mine and make it safe to actually live in there again and this is some of the work that we do uh, natalie and i we had the pleasure of working with a couple who when they started with us were ready for divorce yet by the time that we were done working together they told us that they laughed more over the past six months than they had over the last six years If creating more intimacy, more communication, more passion, more inspiration in your relationship is something that you would like, or if calling in your dream partner is something that you would like also, we would love to support you in that. We invite you to navigate on your internet browser to sexthepodcast.com. Natalie made a squinty face when I said that. You know, people, the interwebs, that www thing. <laughs> <laughs> Go to sexthepodcast.com. There's a contact page. We invite you to reach out to us. Let us know what's up. 
Uh, we are much more than just interviewers on a podcast. We do this because our lives are dedicated to uh, both for ourselves and helping other people have uh, better relationships and better sex lives. So, And if it's not us, we will point you in the right direction Absolutely. to get support. We want you to get what you need and to have thri- a thriving sex life and relationship. So we are at your service. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we'll see you next episode.